0: Your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Tuesday, June 29th, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. It is power to the pod, which means you call the shots here on Locked On Dolphins as our community pod of the podcast. You Dolphins fans bring your questions hot takes, topics, you name it, to the table. And I, your host, Kyle Krabs, simply steer the ship. We got iTunes reviews, we got Twitter questions, and we got a lot of great ground to cover. And we're going to jump right into today's show. No bells and whistles, no opening monologue, no soapbox statement. We are just starting right off the top with Greg Nasty, Left a five star review of the show. Hashtag power to the pod. Kyle, been listening to the show for over a year and loved every second of it. I appreciate your listenership. My question is which players, one on offense and one on defense, ruins our playoff chances if they are injured for a significant amount of time? I think Jacoby Brissett is a solid backup behind Tua but there are positions that have steep drop in talent behind the starters. Hmm. So one on each side of the football. I don't want to sit here and say that anybody in the Dolphins' secondary on the defensive side of the ball is a deal-breaker for Miami because I do think the team has enough depth I understand the value that Xavier Howard brings from generating turnovers. But I don't think the Dolphins would be a winning team only because of Xavier Howard. I still think the rest of this defensive depth chart looks quite promising. They look like they're very deep in the secondary. They've got experience with Jason McCourty. they got more guys to play than Nickel. Javon Holland is more versatile than Bobby McCain. Now he has to go out and do it and prove he can handle an NFL playbook and so on and so forth. I'd probably pick Jerome Baker on defense. There's a part of me that wanted to pick Raekwon Davis and acknowledge the fact that him on the nose has the highest potential ceiling of any of the defensive linemen that you have. I think you look at the Dolphins' interior defensive line group, uh, which is what i Meant there, I'm not including Agba or Phillips or any of those guys, uh, but Davis in his respective role has an opportunity to be the most dominant player in his role. I think Wilkins is more versatile, can do more things very well. I think Zach Sealer is the best athlete of these interior guys. I'm not classifying Agba in that group. Jason Strobridge, eh, no. Rayquan Davis dominant potential on the nose, be a top-shelf nose tackle in the NFL is what I think he can be. Uh, So losing on that would hurt, but you can also find space eaters. They're just not going to push the pocket. They're not going to make the plays. Your linebackers behind you are going to have to make the plays. But Jerome Baker is the guy who defensively I think about the value he brings in the passing game the value he brings in range, and if he takes the step forward that he wants to in the run game, which is what he said his biggest point of emphasis was this, this offseason, I mean, you're talking about a three-down player that you cannot replace with anybody else that you have. Duke Riley is a special teamer and ideally a pass coverage guy. Elan and Roberts is a thumper that comes downhill. Sam McGuavin, a thumper, a, a short area guy they don't really have anybody else to be rangy but also be on the field for 90% of the snaps and then you get into the musical chairs of how do you how do you juggle that personnel and mix and match based on game situation and opposing team personnel and it's like you feel good enough about bake would he be the biggest loss the dolphins could incur but i think you if you look at their positional rooms Baker is the one that hurts the most because of what you don't have around him in that room because Bernard McKinney's is a very different kind of linebacker. On the offensive side of the football, Jesus, t- I mean, I agree with you that Jacoby Brissett can keep your head above water. If he's got to start six games, you can hope to go 500 and you're not bombed. Um, Maybe Will Fuller, because I think if you lose Will Fuller and Waddle now has to take that level of responsibility in offense, part of what I like so much about Waddle early on as a rookie transitioning to the NFL is that he doesn't have to be the man. You got Fuller. You got Parker. You got Gasecki, But if Fuller goes by the wayside, if he gets hurt and misses an extended period of time, I think that changes not only what the offense as a whole looks like, but it also really hurts Waddle's ability to play in the slot and have a great, as great of an impact as he possibly can. So that domino, I think, domino effect, I think, can change uh, what the Dolphins' offense looks like. Now, they still have talent because they completely overhauled the room but I think, I think it's a testament to the Dolphins' depth that I, have a, I don't have an obvious answer on either side of the football. Um, so compelling question nonetheless, and I thank you for it, Greg. Sam, Kyle, love the show as always. Maybe I'm not understanding you. One, how can you possibly look at Howard's contract and not include the signing bonus? That's the money he wanted up front and agreed to take. The player and power movements have made players think they can ask for $40 million guaranteed and then renegotiate or demand trades or hold negotiations hostage five minutes later. It's more prevalent in the NBA, but certainly taking root in the NFL. X is under contract for four seasons. He should play or retire. Those are the choices. Why am I wrong? So I'm not discounting the signing bonus. I'm telling you from Xavier Howard's perspective, he's looking at how much money was on his W-2 last year versus what was on the W-2s of James Bradbury's of the world and all these other guys, and, and the Byron Joneses of the world. And he had less earnings in that calendar year. So, yeah, the annual average salary is still sixth in the NFL. It's still less than Byron Jones's, and that's still reportedly a problem. But from Howard's perspective, it's it's, okay, I want to, I have... Play it at a level that gives me some sense of leverage. And I'm not going to get too far into the weeds on player empowerment and, and whether that's right or wrong. I, I will always generally understand why a player wants to maximize his value because it's his body, it's his life, it's his time, it's his sacrifices. And if he's at a peak and he feels like he's leaving money on the table, good for him. To, to try to find the opportunities to maximize your earning while you can because NFL is called not for long for a reason, right? It can all end in an instant. You think about guys uh, who have suffered some unfortunate injuries and, and really seen their careers tragically cut short. Uh, you just never know, and that is always going to be in the back of our minds when we think about Xavier Howard. So I don't want to discount the fact that Miami gave him a signing bonus But the argument that's being framed and the reason why I understand why he's taking the approach that he is, is what he is paid in any given year over a three-year window in the physical prime of his career is not in the top 10 of what cornerbacks are getting paid. And that goes back to what, again, Brian Flores says this is a unique situation because we just did this extension, but the market is set each year uniquely. So, I think that's what makes it challenging is I understand the Dolphins side of it just as much as I understand Xavier Howard's side of it. And if I'm the Dolphins, I have a really hard time reapproaching a contract that I just signed two years ago that you have four years left to play on. The Dolphins have leverage in that perspective. But then again, Xavier Howard is the product. And Xavier Howard, if you're looking at it from a team perspective, is an asset that you may never. See an opportunity to transition away from and get as much as you could get right now. That's the million-dollar question for Miami. Sammy got a couple compelling points here, so I will typically frown upon double-dipping in a single review of the show, but that's fine. I got you, because bring you a good point here. A Super Bowl is worth 10 years of a franchise's future. If Aaron Rodgers comes to Miami and wins a Super Bowl, it will be worth whatever long-term uncertainty the Dolphins have at quarterback. Again, why am I wrong? I would kill for a Lombardi trophy in South Florida. I would just like to make that abundantly clear. And if the Dolphins decided to go out and acquire the reigning NFL MVP in Aaron Rodgers, I would be excited about the opportunity to see Rodgers play with the Dolphins. Would I be anxious about the longevity of it? Yes, because now you have rapidly put yourself on the clock where you better win a Super Bowl. And if he does win a Super Bowl in Miami, in your hypothetical, Sam, I don't want Dolphins fans yelling at me for even entertaining this idea. Yes, it would be worth it because that's why you play the game, right? And we would all forget about it, the the decision to move on from a young quarterback whose future is yet to be written but if you don't the what if and the way you've accelerated your hot seat as an organization and the people making the decisions in front of it um it's such a high risk maneuver to make and it it really flies in the face of everything that they have preached so i'm not being dismissive of like no i don't want aaron Rodgers. that'd be terrible um But I think the long-term view has been the stated mission statement by Chris Greer for two years now. So that's why I would be surprised if it was something that they entertained. But you're right. At the end of the day, you do play to win Super Bowls. And Rodgers, I don't think there's a question, in the year 2021, would give Miami a very good chance of contending for that. But if you were ever to make that caliber of a move, you damn well better win it. Because if you don't, you're probably going to be out of a job. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action, whether it's the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, or UFC. You can get all the news, odds, and info for your sporting needs. So head over to BetOnline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the sign-up bonuses and contest information available on the site. Do not Sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
1: We are transitioning now to Locked on Fins with a PH. Twitter questions for Power to the Pod. Put the feelers out on Monday. You guys didn't disappoint. I got some great questions. Looking forward to seeing what you guys cooked up. The first one of the day comes from Brandon. Seems like Miami's offensive line is built for run game, but we haven't invested in the running back room to mirror the line I know we needed to upgrade the wide receiver room, but I'm concerned for the run game with our backs. Look how Tannehill ended up with a team with a run-first mentality. Your thoughts? Don't get me wrong, I like Gaskin, but I would have taken Trey Sermon over Hunter Long because of need and fit the position. I don't expect Gusecki back. I'm not sure I expect Gusecki back either. Track just put out a forecast for him uh, for market value, and it was $10 million per season because of how he plays, and he plays predominantly wide receiver instead of tight end, and you're talking $10 million for a guy who doesn't really fit the slot role that you clearly envision because of Jalen Waddell, and then you draft a tight end in the top 100, somebody's moving, right? Somebody's going to move. Uh, but, but your question is more about uh, not investing in the running back room and the argument against that is if the infrastructure of your offense is proper. You can have interchangeability in who is playing the running back position and still have success with running the football, regardless of whether it is a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, a UDFA, a 35-year-old back, And I think the best example for this was Mike Shanahan's Denver Broncos running back track record. So quick synopsis. Uh, Shanahan was the head coach in Denver from 95 to 2008. He went 8-8, 13-3, 12-4, 14-2, 6-10 after John Elway retired. Back to 11-5, 8-8, 9-7, 10-6, 10-6, 13-3, 9-7, Seven and nine, eight and eight out. He had two losing seasons, and one of them was the year after John Elway retired on the heels of winning back to back Super Bowls in 97 98. Okay, but here are the leading rushers for Mike Shanahan's offense over that stretch Terrell Davis, 95, 96, uh, 97, 98. He had stretches of 1,100 yards, 1,500 yards, 1,750, and over 2,000 yards. Then they make a change 99. Orlandis Gary comes in and rushes for 1,200 yards in 12 games. Averaged almost 100 yards per game when it was all said and done. Then Mike Anderson comes in the year after that in 2000, and he rushed for 1,500 yards in 16 games. You fast forward to 2001, Your leading rusher Terrell Davis back again. Boom, down year rushing the football. He and Mike Anderson split the, the totals. Uh, starts were almost 50-50 as far as carries. 2002, Clinton Portis, 1,500 yards, first season there. Clinton Portis, 1,600 yards. Ruben Drones comes in in 2004, rushes for 13, or 1,250. 2005, Mike Anderson, back again, rushes for over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. 2006, Mike Bell, 1,000 yards. 2007, they had a 50-50 split between Travis Henry and Salvin Young. Nobody rushed for over 1,000 yards. And then 2008 was a dumpster fire for Denver. But you think about that stretch, and it's like you had everybody from Terrell Davis, who is a Hall of Famer. You had Clinton Portis, who was a— the 51st overall pick in the NFL draft, a second-round pick. You had Mike Anderson, who was a sixth-round pick. You had Ruben Drones come in, who came to Denver with less than 100 career rushing yards in three seasons before taking over and had two consecutive 1,200 rushing yard campaigns. And it's all because of the infrastructure around the running back position in that system. So that's kind of the argument, and it's been really romanticizing, and Yes. I'm not going to argue with you either that that Miles Gaskin has room to improve. And Miles Gaskin is not a player who is going to create a lot of yardage after contact. He'll run tough, but he's not going to churn the pile. So that's why it's more paramount for Miami to get the interior offensive line right. That's why I thought it was important that they got Eric Flowers off the starting offensive line. You put Solomon Kinley at left guard, you move Robert Hunt inside to right guard. Now you've got two steamrollers. At both guard positions, to reset the line of scrimmage, you can combo block with either one of the tackles with the center, depending on either way that you want to go. You can generate movement, spill into the lap of those inside linebackers. And if you're picking those blocks up and you improve your blocking at the tight end position, too many times you saw Durham Smythe give up penetration across his face. Those are the ways that it all adds up to Miles Gaskin, who kind of is what he is as a running back, in my opinion. Uh, but that's how he can be more productive with the limitations that he has in place. And that doesn't even get into the economic perspective of investing a premium asset in the running back position when your line's not sorted out. If the offensive line was elite and we weren't getting it done, then I think we would have a really good conversation. And we would need to have a really good conversation. But I don't look at what the Dolphins' offensive line has and say, yeah, that's a finished product. The back's not getting it done. The offensive line needed to be just as much better, and the spacing that the offense provides needed to be just as good. And both of those things were addressed this offseason instead. So they're taking it from the most important issues and addressing those first, which I think is the sm- – like, Figure out, go systemically through it, decide what you're comfortable with not addressing, and address what you feel are the more important issues. And I happen personally to agree with them that of the offensive line, the spacing of the offense, and the running back position itself, the lowest priority of that group should have been the running backs. And the Dolphins apparently agree. Patrick, my guy, which Dolphins season did you check out the most on as a Dolphins fan. And I think the answer here is 2011. Uh, this was the year Miami uh, actually had a plus point differential in the season. They scored 329. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, allowed 313 points, which was sixth in the league. They started the year 0-7. Um, this was the year the suck for luck thing was kind of a thing. And they got to 0-7, Then and it's like, okay, like maybe they'll get Andrew Luck. And then they beat the Kansas City Chiefs by 28 points. They beat the Washington football team by 11. They beat the Buffalo Bills by 27 in three consecutive games. <laughs> and then they lose by one point on Thanksgiving to Dallas before winning against the Raiders by 20. To get to four and eight. And it's like, well, geez. What an odd twist. And I think at that point, that Dallas game and then the Raiders game back to back for me is like the last month of that season, I was just beside myself. And of course, they won two more games, finished six and ten. Uh kind of a bitter end to the Tony Sperano era, but Man, those two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten seasons hurt too, because both of those years Miami got to seven and six and lost their final three football games. And then you get into the Joe Philbin era, and you had the same thing. And I think it was twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, in which the Dolphins were poised to make the postseason. Yep, eight and six, beat the Patriots week fifteen in two thousand thirteen, uh, got outscored by a combined thirty nine to seven in the final two games of the season had six first downs and 100 yards of offense against the Bills in Week 16 and lost and then lost to the Jets, had five giveaways and 106 yards rushing in those two games combined, only took the ball away once in that stretch of two games despite the fact that they had takeaways in all 15 games to start the season. Joe Philbin's 2013 team, 2014 Dolphins' 8-7, Eight and seven, chance to go nine and seven, winning record. Beat the Jets. They lost by thirteen points. Uh, gave up five hundred yards of offense. Uh, just wonderful little stroll down memory lane here that I was not mentally prepared to take. So thank you very much, Patrick. No regrets about being a Dolphins fan. Also no regrets about. Being an avid fan of Bilt Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They got 10 flavors to choose from. So whether you need something to grab and go, something to replace a meal throughout the day, something post-workout, you name it, billbar Bar can be it. Right now, you can visit BillBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and save 15% off your next order. That's BillBar.com promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Continuing on, Jacob, would you rather trade Byron Jones for less of a draft hole to clear cap and keep Xavier Howard long term, or trade Xavier Howard for a bigger hat draft hole and keep Byron Jones long term? Igbo takes over from both of their in their absence in either scenario, praying that we keep both. So this is a, a fun little hypothetical, Jacob, but there is a little bit of an issue here in that your question is, would you rather trade Byron Jones for less of a haul and clear up cap, or trade Howard for a bigger draft haul? But you, as the Dolphins clear more cap space by trading Xavier Howard? I understand that's not necessarily your question. Is you're looking at this from a salary dump from Miami's perspective. So if you were to trade Byron Jones right now, your 2021 dead cap would be $2.1 million. Not bad. But because it's a post-June 1st transition and transaction, you're prorating the dead cap over the 2021 and 2022 caps. You would incur an additional $6.3 million in dead cap in 2022 for next year's cycle if you were to trade Byron Jones after June 1st of this year. So in total, you as the Dolphins, if you trade... Byron Jones, you save a total, regardless of whether it's divided between one year or two, you save $7.7 million, and your dead cap is $8.4 million. If you were to trade Xavier Howard, your dead cap is exactly half of that. Your dead cap is $4.2 million. If you did it post-June 1st, which we are at now, you would save, or you would incur... $1.4 1.4 million dollars in dead cap in 2021, and 2.8 million dollars in 2022 is trading Zavian Howard versus 2.1 and 6.3 for Byron Jones. Your savings this year would be 12.1 million dollars. So you are saving nearly the same amount of money, 1.9 million dollars less to trade Zavian Howard. As but as far as dead cap goes, you're saving. Five and a half million dollars more in 2022 by trading Howard and not Jones. So I think that's a layer here that you know, this again goes back to why how Miami chose to structure the contract is important. Um, and the Dolphins have done well with Byron Jones as well. They did not give him a large signing bonus. Uh, his signing bonus was ten and a half million dollars but he signed a five-year, $82.5 million contract with $54 million in guarantees. Well, how do you get the guarantees? There's roster bonuses that are tucked in along the way here. They took the 10.5 and prorated it out over five seasons, so all you have to do is swallow the hit on that 2.1 per season over all five years. He's got roster bonuses, workout bonuses, his salary's fully guaranteed. So as of right now, $6 million of his 2022 salary is fully guaranteed, and an additional $8.4 million of his 2022 salary fully guarantees on the fifth league day of the calendar year. So his entire salary in 2022 is going to fully guarantee by the fifth league day of 2022. But if you're fully guaranteeing the base salary, you can trade that. You can't trade the signing bonus. So both of these contracts for Miami, you have a fair amount of flexibility. I know that doesn't answer your question, but I do think that's an important distinguishment to make, is that because of how the Dolphins structured the money, they would save more in trading Xavier Howard than they would Byron Jones, and granted he's an extra year into his deal, but they do have reasonable outs on both contracts if the price was right. I don't think there's any question that Xavier Howard is a better player Uh, for the turnovers that he produces. But uh, if he didn't have knee issues, this would be an open-and-shut case. But he does have knee issues. And it's not like, oh, well, everybody gets hurt from time to time. It's like, dude's had like three or four knee procedures (laughs) in the last five years. At corner, that's scary. And that's where I get stuck with what the quote-unquote right decision is to make. Chain King wants to know if there's any players in this year's supplemental draft worth looking at. To my knowledge, there is no supplemental draft this year due to uh, the COVID pandemic. So the way that it works is players, you have the declaration deadline. If you have a hardship that prompts you to change your situation after the deadline, you can declare for the supplemental draft. But the league extended the window for players to decide whether or not they were going back to school until the middle of March this year because of COVID and everybody was granted an additional year of eligibility. So uh, I believe because of that, uh, there is no supplemental draft this year. There are no players that are going to be given the opportunity and have the the window opened for them by the league to make the jump. So in short, no, uh, I do not believe so. Uh, Kyle Smith, you see the front office shifting to having more mid round picks and draft capital instead of premium picks like Baltimore and New England, I certainly think drafting by volume is going to continue to be a piece of the puzzle, and the challenge for Miami is uh, what premium assets do you have now, other than a future one two years down the road from now, to turn into more premium picks? It's kind of one of those things where they have kind of emptied the chamber unless Xavier Howard is a piece that has super high trade demand, and somebody wants to go crazy and give you something nuts for them. Uh, So, yeah, I do think they'll continue to pick by volume, but because the Laramie Tunsil deal is a gift that is still giving, but it's not giving to the same degree that it did for the last two seasons, uh, it's going to be harder and harder to maintain that pace of having premium picks. The real Cruz Corey, assuming Miami makes the playoffs this year, who do you think out of all the likely AFC teams to get in The best-case scenario is for us to match up with in the first round. (sighs) New England? Shaky quarterback situation. I understand there's familiarity there, so that will help. Um, No, I lied. Indianapolis is the choice. Quarterback who needs to prove that he's no longer turnover-prone Not really scared of their wide receivers. I think you can really smother them in a matchup individually. Um, If they're the Dolphins' interior triangle on defense with Raquan and Bernard McKinney and Wilkins, those guys are all healthy. Uh, I feel fairly good about the opportunities to try and stop the run against the Colts. And um, offensively, their best impact player in the front seven is an interior guy. And I like the Dolphins' interior to, to kind of double-team and throw bodies at somebody. So I'd say the Colts, plus if it's a road team, you don't assume you don't win the division, You get a wild card. Indy's in a dome. So you go play a cold-weather team indoors, yes, please. The Colts are the number one choice for if you were to make the postseason and not have a home playoff game, who'd you like to play? Adam, which failed Dolphins coach of the 21st century do you think could have succeeded had they been working with a competent front office? Tony Sperano. If you'd have made the right decision at quarterback, who knows what this team would have looked like instead of taking Chad Henning in the second round and draft Jake Long in the first because Bill Parcells thought you could get the same caliber of a player in Chad Henning that you were getting with Matt Ryan and then didn't flush a second-round pick down the toilet for Pat White. I mean, that that stretch there, those quarterback investments, killed a lot of other redeeming qualities about that Dolphins team. Now, they lucked into Chad Pennington, but Pennington was never going to be a long-term answer. So, yeah, I think if they had played their their hand differently with the quarterback position, Tony Sperano, tough, disciplined, run the football, don't beat yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that all could have played really well. But you had to have a quarterback. And Chad Henney, instead of Matt Ryan, is a hard pill to swallow. Last question for the day. Can we get your reaction to Brian Flores on the Hot Seat article from Kyle? Great name, Kyle. Uh, Yes, Brian Flores is not on the hot seat. I don't... I understand that the argument there is there are office politics at play, but you don't fire a coach. You know, what Does Brian Flores go 0-17 this year? Maybe then you can have that conversation, but if they're even remotely competitive... There's a you you have zero leg to stand on because the entire vision of this team was we're gonna crawl before we can walk we're gonna slow play it they've done that but lo and behold they've been competitive their their last twenty five football games they're fifteen and ten and they're not even supposed to be in the contending window yet so no. I do not buy for one second Brian Flores, who had a very legitimate case for Coach of the Year and had they won Week 17, could have perhaps won Coach of the Year, is on the hot seat in Year 3 of a team that has grossly outperformed expectations in each of their first two seasons. I'm selling on that. Hoping you don't sell on more Locked On Dolphins in your life this week. Kyle Krabs. Make sure you hit subscribe. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Always great to talk with you guys. Always great to hear from you on Power to the Pod. Have a great Tuesday. Hope to talk to you guys again tomorrow. Fins up.